Welcome to Eurocron, a podcast about people whose names you may not be familiar with now, but you will remember their stories. Hi, I'm Scott Pitney, the host for Eurocron. So, without further ado, let's jump right into our next extraordinary story. My next guest on your cron is an entrepreneur and also a two-time smack-off champion on the very popular Jim Rome show, a.k.a. The Jungle. As he's known in The Jungle, Lef in Laguna is joining us today to talk about a wide variety of businesses and interests, including wine, treasure hunts, and his latest venture, Ghostcast, a new, very entertaining app where anyone can host a program. Lef, welcome to your cron. Good to be here, Scott. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? Doing good. Doing good. Good. So I got to say, last week we we had a little meet, meet and greet to get ready for this podcast. And normally, left those meet and greets for me are probably 15 to 20 minute phone calls. You and I were on the phone for well over an hour. Yeah, we should have. Uh, I think you probably should have hit record and we wouldn't need to be be re- rehashing some of this stuff. We got some uh, we got some good stuff. We're having some good laughs and got some good stories out. But uh, but I think it was the first time we got to we got to chat. So it was good just to uh, get to know you and all that. Yeah, same here. And this could easily be uh, part two. But uh, where is a good place to, to start? We've got so many directions we can go. Where's a good place to start? You listed you listed all that stuff. So that's uh, I don't know if that makes me look look bad or good but that was uh that was all my my crazy interests all the crazy stuff i'm up to but um but we can kind of start with my some of my my uh real life stuff what i what i do day to day um you mentioned you know from the beginning i got into wine at a pretty early age out of uh out of college and and started my career there so it'd be a a good place to start and go linear with it cool so wine um here in texas you know, there's a lot of wineries opening up. I'm sure there are all over the United States. It's become a popular business and you've been in the business for a while. What should people know that are considering getting started in the wine business? I will say one thing about, about the, uh, first about the Texas wine business before we, before I answer your question. So my first job in the wine business was at a winery in Paso Robles called uh, Eagle Castle. I don't think it's around anymore. Uh, I didn't last long because I quit. Um, I was working in the tasting room. I was doing a little bit of sales stuff and kind of doing everything a little bit at the winery, but I was doing a lot of sales stuff and I was working in the tasting room and I was in college at the time and it was a castle and they made us dress up like renaissance people so um so the day that they said here put this on i was like i'm out of here i think i worked one shift at the tasting room i was dressed up like a jester pouring wine for people and that was it i bring that up because the the winemaker there was actually from texas and he made wine in texas so it was was just uh interesting that that you bring that up but to answer your to answer your question um what's the one thing people should should uh know before getting into wine is know what you like right i'm you see all the time like you know, Robert Parker's scoring wines one to a hundred or, or all these magazines are scoring wines, you know, one to a hundred or, or 10 stars. I, I really, really believe that wine should be zero or one. You either like it or you don't like it. Know what you like. And that's all that matters. Don't worry about what other people say about it. Don't worry about what critics say about it. Don't worry if you're, 
using a screw cap or you're opening a cork wrong or whatever. It's just about what you like. It's about enjoying what's in the bottle um, and enjoying the fruits of somebody's labor on that particular year that, that made this wine. It um, doesn't have to pair perfectly with whatever food you're eating. Just drink what you like. Yeah. So pay attention to the wine, not the label, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my wife and I, we like to go to Fredericksburg quite a bit where a lot of the Texas wineries are. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, are you familiar with that area? The, like I said, the only, the only familiarity I have with that is the first, the first wine job I had, the, the winemaker was from that area. I think he went to A&M. I know that's a wine region in Texas. And, um, you know, every, I think now every single state has a bonded winery. I think that was happened for the first time. 10 years ago, I think every state, uh, all 50 states have a bonded winery. So everyone's trying their hand at it. Obviously, I think California is the best, but but like I said, it's about what you like and, and every state's doing it. And, and other states like Oregon, Washington, um, Virginia's got a, a good good wine program. And even like upstate New York, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Well, I noticed one thing. Uh, every winery we visited, the owners, when we got a chance to talk to them, seemed very happy. They seem very content in the business they are, that they're in. Yeah, I'll say um, here in California might be a little bit different. We have some of the bigger wineries here. Some of them, are, a lot of them, are owned by the big, big conglomerates or or, uh, or bigger companies. It's not like it used to be. Um, certainly used to be that way in the going back 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, now they're a lot of them are publicly owned. It's it's kind of taken the the passion a little bit out of the out of the business. But I'd imagine in some of the other states uh, that still exists and that's great. And that's, that's really what the basis of the wine industry was, was founded on. Um, so, so we don't, we don't see that as, as much in California. They say, they say now it, it costs $10 million to make a million dollars in the wine business. So it's, it's rare that you see somebody get into it that hasn't had success elsewhere um, and, and they're either doing it for tax shelter or, or what, or, or buying land, land ownership and, and stuff like that. But with that said, there are still, still some family owned smaller wineries to be found in California that I think are making some of the, some of the better wines. And, uh, but I, I definitely know what you're, what, what you're saying. And I imagine that exists in other States. Yeah. So about a 10% uh, return, you said, uh, 10 million to make a million. That's what they say. Wow. <laughs> I did it differently, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you mentioned a term last week when we were talking. I've never heard it before, but it's a very interesting term to me called micro communities, which mm-hmm. I would consider wine to be very much a micro community. What is a micro community left and why is it important or why should it be important to marketers? Yeah, I talk about micro communities a lot with our my new project called Ghostcast, where we're giving people an audio um, voice. It's an audio social media platform. And we talk about micro communities because those are really loyal people to those communities. So if you can if you can foster a platform that is servicing uh, those communities, those people are going to be more loyal to coming back into to using your your product. Um, you know, we talk about the Jim Rome show. We talk about wine. We talk about a sporting team, um, a certain video game. All those are examples of of micro communities. And within those micro communities are people that are really interested in it, people that are speaking out about it. Um, there's a hierarchy there a little bit. It's almost like, I say it's almost like high school where, you, you know, you have the cool people and the people that are putting out all the content within these micro communities. And then you have the people that are just kind of on the sidelines watching. And then you have other people that are, you know, bullying people or, or, or whatever. So all these little micro communities, um, and we all see it, we all participate 
in micro communities. I just don't know if we all recognize it, but we all do. Um, and, and like I said, it's anything from, from wine or food or a sports team that you like, or a, or a video game or a, an activity like, a you know, outdoors hiking or, you know, guns, all that stuff. They all have a community where, where people are talking about it and businesses should be, be looking at that. And they should be marketing towards that. And I know a lot of them do. And, um, and that's the best way to be successful. Yeah. I, uh- after we had that conversation, all of a sudden, you, you asked me what micro community I was a part of, and I came up with something, the first thing, you know, off the top of my head. But since the last week or so, it, they're everywhere. I mean, we like to RV, for example. I mean, that, that would be a huge micro community. And, and uh, as far as listening to ghost cast and things like that, you know, we're in the RV many hours. So that's a good uh, platform to, to listen to podcasts or ghost casts or whatever. But uh, yeah, there's a, a ton of opportunity out there. Very interesting term. Uh, so well, we're we're, yeah. we're in we're in a time now too where people can monetize that. That can become your job if if you really think about it. You look at these micro communities. Something that you're into. The the fact that the internet exists and that you can sell things or you can talk about things and you can you know as simple as you talk about RVing. Like if you're really into RVing, you want to make a living doing that because you you know a lot of people think about. If I, if I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing, I'm not working a day in my life. That's true. You can, and anybody can go do that. Like if you want to go talk about RVs or start an RV blog and you want to go sell ad space and you're so into it and you're putting out great content, you can make a living doing that and be super happy. So I always, I always try to nudge people towards that. Yeah. So having said that, if you're somebody that is interested, say you have a micro community or just something that you're interested in and you're maybe an expert on, or, you know, you've got something to say. And so you want to build an audience. Should you think about monetizing right off the bat or should you just focus more on building your audience first and go from there? No, I think, I think all that stuff should be organic. And I think all that comes as a result of, of doing things the right way. Um, you know, they, they always say like, you know, true love is loving somebody and not worrying if they love you back. It's kind of like that with, with monetizing these micro communities, do something you really like, put out really great content. Don't worry about how many people are liking it or how many people are sharing it right away. Just put out really good content. Talk about the things you like to talk about. Go find the people that you, you are associating with in these micro communities and, and that stuff will come. You'll start to build an audience and, and then, you know, right away it should be, should be easy to kind of turn on monetization at that point, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like, Hey, come check out my RV blog. Come check out my RV blog. Come check out my RV blog. And you should be jumping into conversations with people talking about RVs and having conversations with people and, and getting to know people and, and, uh, and being nice to people. And, and you'd be surprised that if you're nice to people over and over and over and over again, well, then that one time you do hit them up, Hey, check out my RV blog. That person on the other end is thinking like, this guy's been so cool to me for a year never asked anything from me, of course I'll go check out his RV blog and, and get into it. No big deal. You know, so I'm a big believer in that. Yeah. Make friends first. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. But at a point, you know, when you do start thinking about possibly monetizing something, I mean, you're watching maybe your numbers go up on your YouTube station or whatever platform you're using. Is there sort of a magic number where you go, okay, I got this many X amount of views. Now I should, I should start looking at advertising. Uh, do you have any, any comments about that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to make sense, we're talking about advertising in, 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 you know, specifics there, there is a time where you want to turn that on versus when you, you don't want to turn on. Right. If there's, 
if it's if it's low traffic, there's there's not going to be much coming in anyways. And a lot of times, things like advertising can can drive people away, almost to what I just spoke about, where it's you know you don't want to be hitting people over the top of the head with with hey I'm trying to make money off you, I'm trying to make money off you. Ads are kind of the same way. That's why like you know companies like you know Facebook didn't start with ads for a very long time because you want to you want to get people onto the platform, using the platform, liking what you're doing, buying into what you're doing. And not feel like you're selling them something right off the bat because you can always turn on, you can always turn on monetization stuff um, at any time. So I think in the beginning, it's all about just getting that, getting that user base, however you can get it organically, and then at the right time you can you can turn things on. Right. Well, we'll jump into Ghostcast uh, more in a minute. Back to the micro community. You mentioned last week that you are involved in a micro micro community that involves treasure hunting. That uh, <laughs> it sounds pretty interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's probably my favorite thing to talk about. I, I'm a big believer, and I work really hard um, for for you know nine to five, or it's you know oftentimes a lot longer than that. But I work really hard at my you know job and to support my family and and all that stuff and all the different you know businesses and stuff I, I get into. Um, I think it's really important, and those are my main courses. But I think it's really important to have these little side dishes. Um, that kind of that, that little carrot, if you will, that kind of keeps you going and keeps you interested. So I got into treasure hunting. Somebody had sent me a link um, in 2018 to a guy that had hid treasure in the Rocky Mountains. And he wrote a poem and the poem has nine clues. If you can solve it, you're free to go grab the treasure. And it's been estimated at like two to $6 million worth of treasure. Um, it's not, it wasn't the money that initially interested me. I'm just a huge outdoors guy. I love hiking. Um, you know, we, we often spend a lot of time in the Eastern Sierras through hiking, um, you know, day hikes to whatever. The idea of hiking with a purpose and being out in the middle of nowhere and trying to look for something was was in just immediately like right up my alley. And then two to five million dollars doesn't sound too bad to to go do that. So initially um, got got hooked into that. The guy has a book. Um, within the book, there's some clues. It's called The Thrill of the Chase by Forrest Fenn. The book has some clues, but he says really all you need is that poem that is that is within the book. And there's it's a 24 line poem. I could recite it for you word for word. I know it that well. Um, and within that poem, there are nine clues that have followed consecutively leads you right to the treasure. He doesn't tell you what the nine clues are in that poem. He tells you what the first clue is, and it's up to you to find these nine clues. And it's somewhere in the Rocky Mountains and other things he's ruled out. Uh, Utah, Idaho, Canadian Rockies. So the states where this treasure is, uh, is between New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. Oh, that's not a big area. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) So how close do you think you are to finding the treasure? Well, first of all, and you probably mentioned this, but how long have you been doing it left and how close are you to finding the treasure? How many clues do you have so far? Scott, at this point, I can tell you with 99% certainty, I know where the treasure is. I just have to go and get it. Uh, at this point, it's just a mere formality, um, in my mind at least. And I've, I've had that thought before, and I've gone out and searched for it um, four or five times. Um, pretty much all in the same area from the first time, and then 
every time it's interesting every i can't tell you where i where i go but i will say it's somewhere in the rocky mountains every time i go i'll say it's either i'll see, I'll, I'll just leave it rocky mountains we'll, we'll leave it vague i don't know if you've got a lot of uh treasure hunters out there not listening but um every time you go you learn something different where you misstep before um that you can't quite see on google earth right so you go a lot on google earth and you can see some things and get an idea lay of the land you think you know an area and then you get there and it's so much bigger than you think um and then you spend the whole day throwing your plan up into the air and then just walking all over the place and trying to figure stuff out as you as you're walking you come in with this perfect plan i know exactly where i'm going to go i'm going to go here 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 and here and then that all blows up um and then you're you're kind of on your own just wandering around i've i've spent a good um you know 16 18 hours uh looking for this thing in one day in in uh grizzly bear country so i even emptied an entire can of bear mace on my butt uh last year Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, I was, I, I looked for it with a friend. He, he's, uh, he's one of my co-founders with Ghostcast, Chad, and um, and we're looking for this treasure. This is probably, and we do it together. This is probably our our uh, third or fourth trip together. And we are crossing a river, and we have bear spray on us because this is this was about this time last year. It was it was. Uh, it was April 30th. So I saw a picture that came up in my time hop of me naked in the car in extreme pain. And I was reminded that there was a year ago to the day, I think it was April 30th. <laughs> and um, we're crossing this river and we have our bear spray out. So that's when bears come out of hibernation is, is usually, you know, April, March, April, May. And um, not a lot of people are out at that time either. So we're kind of on alert. We have our, we have our bear spray out. We're crossing a river and I put waders on. I put the bear spray in my, back pocket. I never keep the safety on the bear spray because I'm not an idiot. I'm not going to discharge it. Right. Right. Um, so I take the, <laughs> I leave the safety off cause I can't get the safety off. So if, if, if I did need to use it, I would be, I'd be dead meat cause I wouldn't really get that safety off. So I leave it off. I'm just very careful until this one time <laughs> I had it in my back pocket, put some waders on cross the river. I'm taking the waders off and I hear this I'm like, oh, that's fine. It must be the air because the waders are airtight. I'm like, oh, it must be the air kind of sneaking out. And then I start getting this whiff and it starts like tickling my nose. And I look behind me and I'm like, oh, crap. I just sprayed the entire can of bear spray on the back of my legs all the way down my ass. And I'm initially freaking out like this is going to be a respiratory issue. And we're miles away from the car. We're, you know, 100 miles away from any sort of hospital or help there's no cell phone service so i start to get a little panicky like if i start to like you know not be able to breathe i'm really going to freak out um and then that's that that thought slowly went away as the pain set in on my whole backside all the way down the back of my thighs down into my calf of just this intense burning sensation literally felt like my skin was was on fire and it's about 28 degrees the only thing that helps me is just to get into the water because the water is so cold. And I think, I think it was just numbing me mm. at that point. Um, and the only thing that helped was water. So I kept getting in the water, I'm butt naked in the middle of middle of nowhere here. And, uh, just trying to, just trying to get this, this pain. Okay. And I'm like, I just need to go get clean clothes. So I'm running butt naked two or three miles all the way back to the car to get clean clothes on. 
and then I put clean clothes on and it just starts to, there's nothing I can do. It just keeps burning, burning, burning. Mm. We finally get in the car. Uh, we're, we're driving a couple hours, most intense pain. It starts to like level off a little bit. And, and as long as it's not getting worse, I know I'm not going to like die or have to go to the hospital, but I hadn't, I have never read up about what to do when you spray yourself with bear spray. Um, we finally got to a place where I could, go into a, a restroom and, and wash my backside in the sink with water and soap thinking that would work. I knew, I knew milk would work because, um, I have cooked before with, you know, peppers and then I've actually touched uh, sensitive areas and that has burned quite badly. And milk is the one thing that helps it. So I knew I needed milk. We just couldn't find any drive another hour back to our hotel, get to our hotel. I take a shower. It's still burning pretty bad, but I think I'm out of the woods at this point. Uh, but some of the most intense pain I've ever felt. And then uh, we went out to, to dinner, washed it down with a couple of beers and, a, and an elk burger. And, uh, and then I was, I was A-OK. But it was, it was about five or six hours of, of pretty severe, severe pain. And I still have – it's orange. I never knew what color it was. It's or I still have the stains on my, my nice Patagonia jacket. So it's a stain on the inside, a nice orange stain from the, uh, the bear mace. Just a reminder. So what is <laughs> bear mace? Is it different from human mace? Do you know? Yeah, it's high, it's higher intensity because you you've got a you know two ton grizzly bear running at you and you're supposed to use it right. Yeah. Um. So it's higher intensity. One one shot empties the whole can. So the whole can is is uh probably eight or twelve ounce can. It's like the size of beer. Um. But one shot empties the whole thing. So I emptied the whole thing on it. It's higher intensity, and um. So it's, it's a little bit worse from what I understand than, than uh, regular mace or pepper spray that, you know, girls would keep on their keychain for, for people or whatever. So um, pretty bad stuff. So having bear mace on your ass left, do you think it would work for a real grizzly bear? I mean, have you just sort of visualized yourself holding a can, spraying it in a grizzly bear's face as it's coming at you? Cause that, it's supposed, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to spray 60 feet. Um, with that said, there's some danger. So I, I've researched this since I'm an expert on bear mace at this point. Um, <laughs> it's usually sprays about 40 to 60 feet. You don't want to do it into the wind because then it'll come back at you down. But like I said, if a grizzly bear is charging you, how, how the heck are you going to change the wind? But, but um, from what I understand, yes, it deters them, them pretty good. So it gets them in their face. It doesn't, doesn't kill them or anything like that, but it definitely deters them. Um, from charging, but it doesn't always work, but they, they say it's 90, 95%. So if you got a bear charging at you, um, uh, that's, that's supposed to work. It's supposed to be better than a shotgun, better than a pistol. Um, cause even if they get shot with a gun, they're not going to, they're not going to stop charging, but the, the, uh, the bear spray kind of blinds them. They can't really see what they're doing and where they're going, um, temporarily. So that is the best, the best thing you can really do is just make noise. Uh, some people carry bells with them. Grizzly bears don't want anything to do with people. Uh, the only issues are if, you know, you spook one or, or, you know, you get too close to, to a mama sow and her grizzlies or her grizzly cubs. So, uh, those are the, those are really the only issues. Other than that, they don't really want to be around people. So the, the, the danger isn't, isn't very, very high, but when we're looking for this treasure, we're, we're, uh, you know, backwoods, we're off trail. We're not where we're, supposed to be so um you do feel like a little bit like you're on on the menu and it's it's uh we've actually seen one when we're not seen what we heard one when we were out there and we did get too close which is a a whole nother story so yeah, yeah. I, I was in canada one time and i got spooked by one at night it scared the hell out of me yeah we um we had we had an we had a little encounter coming around a, a corner into kind of a wooded area mm-hmm. 
and um, we couldn't see anything, but we I heard this sound that I'll never forget. And it sounded like a like like a helicopter was landing inside of my body. Like, you know, when you get like my chest was reverberating, my head was rever it almost made me feel dizzy. Um, it was like this like a helicopter kind of noise. Um, we had no idea what it was. We backed away and gave us some space wherever it was and walked around. Three days later, we get back you know, to our car where we have cell phone service. We call we call a ranger because we'd forgotten it happened. We called a ranger just to be like, what 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 was that? Was that like a was it a bison or was it a, was, was it a bear? And, and they're like, Oh yeah. They're like, that's, that's you probably came up to where they are kind of hunkered down. Like they're not their den or they're they either sleep or they're napping. You probably came upon a male and they do that a lot. And what that noise was, was them clicking their jaw when they get, when they get really agitated or upset or you're invading their space. So he's like, likely it was laying down. They heard you invaded your space. And that's a, that's a warning sign. Like get away. Yeah. So just the spray only, no backup gun or anything like that. We carry a firearm um, when we're when we're out there, um, but the spray, yeah, the spray for for bear is definitely the the that last line of protection you want to use. Mm. And Chad has a can as well. He does. We both we both carry them when we're out there. Yep. Has there ever been any doubt in your mind that this treasure actually may not exist? It has, and and well, I, I, like I said, I, I'm 99% sure I, I know where it is at this point, Scott. But mm-hmm. uh, but there is some doubt that it doesn't exist. I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but there is some there is some doubt. The book and the whole title of this thing is called "The Thrill of the Chase," which resonates me on a number of different levels. Um, I'm a huge believer in the journey, not the destination, and kind of the hard work and not not the uh, the fruits of your labor, if you will. So um, I, I like that about about that, but. Yeah, in the back of your mind, you're you're out in this some of the most beautiful scenery I've ever I've ever seen. Some of the, you know, most picturesque things my eyes have ever laid on has been because I've gone out and searched for this, <laughs> for this treasure. <laughs> and um, you know, I I really feel like uh, that potentially could be the treasure. It could be just going out and looking for it and seeing some of these things. So I, I would not be I would not be upset if that was if that was the case, but. Um, I do, I do take him for his word that, that, that treasure is out there. Yeah. Yeah. How much treasure is there? I mean, do you guys drive a truck? Do you fly out? Use a rent car? How do you actually get to the mountains? It's, uh, how do you get to, to where it is? Um, usually we'll fly, usually we'll fly into Salt Lake and drive from there. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a morning flight, uh, from LA straight to Salt Lake and then we'll, we'll grab a car, um, from there and, and, and head out. Um, We've talked about going in the near future, and I think that might be not an airplane with all the stuff going on. I think we would probably drive from here, but I think it's about a 10-hour drive to, to Salt Lake, and then and then from there it's uh, maybe five or six hours. So it would be a, an easy just overnight and be there in a, a day and a half. Yeah. So say you find the treasure. It's somewhere deep in the woods. Have you thought about how you're going to actually get it out of there? Yeah, he talks about how he hit it. It's all contained in a ten inch by ten inch box, like the size of a like a happy meal. Oh, it's small. Um, okay. It's small. And it weighs about forty pounds. Um, and all the things in there are, are very high valued from uh, he's a he was a collector uh, for a long time. had a, had an art gallery in Santa Fe and has collected things all over from all over the world from old ruins and and he has things in there like old uh placer nuggets and and real gold pieces in there and there's you know 
there's uh, ancient Chinese jade pieces. So it's all very old uh, artifacts like that that are very, very high in value. And they're also very, very small to fit in that box. And it's, it's pretty crazy to have a 10 inch by 10 inch box weigh 40 pounds. Uh, the box itself weighs, the box itself it comes in, he says, is an old Romanesque lockbox mm. that, that kept maybe a book of days um, back then, back from the, the, uh, the 1200s. So it's supposed to be the box itself is supposed to be uh, very, very cool as well. Yeah. We'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Pitney Properties. Pitney Properties provides real estate services to buyers and sellers located in and around the Houston area. Having been raised in Texas, LaVon Pitney is incredibly well-versed in the area's housing market and always manages to find her clients those hidden gems that other agents tend to overlook. LaVon's relentless style and integrity allow her to hold client satisfaction at her highest priority. She works hard to make the entire home buying and selling experience as is productive and enjoyable as possible. Whether her clients are first-time buyers or seasoned investors, LaVon works tirelessly to accommodate their needs and exceed their expectations. To learn more about LaVon's real estate services, please don't hesitate to call her today at 713-805-8871. That's 713-805-8871. Or contact LaVon at sold at pitneyproperties.com. So uh, let's jump over to the next topic. Your current major project is Ghostcast, where anyone can broadcast. I actually listen and uh, participate a little bit in Rick in Buffalo's Ghostcast last week. I found it to be fun and simple, and it was cool. So talk about your vision with Ghostcast, Left. Yeah, Ghostcast right now, as it as it stands, is a is a it's a community. Uh, driven and engagement platform that is audio only. So the idea of it is that it's an audio social media. Um, if you think about it in those terms, it's almost Twitter with the voice. So rather than typing your tweets, the idea is that you're, you're using spoken word. Um, we feel it really fits a need because you look at all the social medias that are, that are people are using frequently Instagram um, is photos, you know, Twitter is microblogging or writing. Facebook is very profile based. YouTube is video. Um, you know, we've identified audio as a very, very powerful tool. And a lot of people have is you've seen the rise of, of podcasts, what we're doing right now. The idea is that this would be a social media that's audio driven, audio only. Um, if you think of it like a, like a live podcast or, what we call bite-sized or short-form audio. Yeah. So, what you mentioned last week that it started off as kind of a a sports type product, but it, you you've uh, your plan is to expand into many other areas, going back to some of the micro communities we talked about. Yeah, yeah. We started this. This idea was kind of was kind of bore from the 2016 
World Series. Um, Chad and I, are, my co-founder, were texting during the, during the Cubs World Series. Joe Buck was doing the game. He was just getting absolutely killed on social media. And we were exchanging texts like, actually, we think Joe Buck's pretty good. Why he's kind of getting an unshake, a fair, you know, a, a, an unfair shake here. And we think he's pretty good. Uh, if people don't like him or they, they don't think he's doing a good job, they should try it themselves. And it was kind of a dot, 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 like, holy crap, that's a platform. Um, so the next day after, after that, the Cubs won the World Series and Joe Buck called it. And I thought it was fine. Um, the next day, we, we literally went down to a hotel um, near where we live. And we took a bunch of computer paper and we just started drawing, like, how would this work? What would it look like? We were looking at other apps and how they're functioning. It was, it was very just sketching it out. Um, but we kind of came up with this concept that was anybody can be a broadcaster for a live sporting event. Um, and we just felt that that was totally in need. At that time, the next day, we didn't do any market research. We we're like, I think that would be cool. We're big sports fans. All our, you know, we, we, we pulled maybe 20 of our friends We're like, that would be cool. I'm like, great. <laughs> the whole world will like it then. Right. So we actually <laughs> set out and, and, uh, and try to have it designed, which we, we did. It took us about three months. We were interviewing designers and we were getting some really, really cool meetings right from the beginning. We had a meeting at, uh, one of Steve Nash's media companies. They, they put in a bid to, to design it. He ended up being a little bit too expensive. Um, we had some we had some really really interesting and cool meetings right off the bat just based on this this premise alone this idea alone, and we found a guy that would build it for us and um, he was amazing and he built it and he stayed on budget and on time which is which is for the first time in my you know business career I've ever seen anybody do that so we knew we'd found the right guy we got this thing built um, you could broadcast any live sporting event we uploaded all the all the games to it. And all you had to do is click a game and click broadcast and share it to your social media platforms. Then all of a sudden we had, you know, two or 300 people on there right away that we, we shared this as a private beta test with. Um, a lot of them were the people from the, from the Rome show cause they were all sports fans and, you know, they knew who we were. So we're like, Hey, what better people to, to try out, try this out on and see if there's a market for it. Um, they liked it. They liked it. They got really excited about it. People were using it. We had games being broadcast on there from the get go. Um, and it was really fun. I, I used it exclusively to the point where I couldn't watch sports without having ghost cast on and listening to somebody else talk about it because you're not getting the, the, the networks take on it. You're not getting the, um, just the vanilla, stats and here's what's going on you're actually you know talk about micro communities we hadn't identified that at that time but we're getting a, a game being called by a super fan of that team who knew more about that team than any broadcaster any professional broadcaster would because they're just all national guys doing different games um so we didn't know it yet but we really had identified with that that beta test we identified this micro community of people that are fans of teams know a lot about it they're loyal to the platform they want a place where they can come talk about that team they also want a place where they can come listen to somebody else talk about that team that knows what they're talking about so that went really well and um and then from there was we had a couple really cool meetings where where it's like hey we need to expand this thing because this is much bigger than sports yeah and you actually had a sports guy tell you that you should expand beyond sports correct Right. We had, um, we had a meeting and this is kind of, kind of crazy. So we had this app built out. It was just sports. 
we had a meeting with a guy named Peter Del Grosso, who's a, uh, he was Kobe Bryant's business manager. So we, we met with him in Malibu in November and he looked at it. He's like, I love this product. He's like, you guys are a great team. You've built something really cool. He's like, you proved it with a beta test that people, you know, want to use a product like this. Um, he's like, I just see so much value in this outside of sports in addition to sports. He's like, you guys should really think about that. And that was in November, 2019 when we were kind of starting to build this product outside and make it a little bit better than a beta test that we could go out and, and really push it out to people. So, um, so we did that. We, we, we thought about that and we're like, you know what? He's right. Because not only is he right, cause he's a super successful and smart guy. He's right. Because during our beta test, people weren't just doing sports and people were asking me, Hey, can I broadcast the bachelor? Hey, can I broadcast top chef? Hey, can I broadcast the diehard trilogy? And the answer of course was always yes. And I would just change a card from, Broncos Dolphins to, you know, the bachelor finale and, and they broadcasted it. It was great. People really, really liked it. And so when we heard that from somebody it kind of validated like, Hey, maybe there is something outside of sports um, where this would make sense. And then we had another, another sit down meeting with a guy named Sandy Grushow, who is on our board of directors at Ghostcast, which is really exciting. Um, he was the youngest ever network head where he um, at 32 ran the whole network of Fox entertainment. So he was the one responsible for shows like cops and the Simpsons and 90210 and, and, uh, Melrose place. And he said the exact same thing. We're sitting down in Beverly Hills in, in an office and we're pitching him on this exact same idea. He stops me in the middle of this pitch and he's like, Hey, nobody likes sports more than me. He's like, believe me, I love sports. And he's a, you know, huge sports guy. And he's like, it's a cool app is sports. He's like, I get that you guys are kind of starting to dabble with the bachelor and some things outside of sports. But he's like, go outside of sports. That's a market maker. Um, we took those two things to heart and that was in January and we're like, all right, we really need to go all in on things outside of sports. And so we really started to, to build it that way. And, um, you know, now with, with sports not even being a thing right now, um, we're, we're glad that we did and, and uh, we're excited to be where we're going. As far as the show, my wife asked this question. She's a big fan of Bravo shows. And as far as how this actually works when you're watching a show, are, are you broadcasting while the show is on? Do you have the sound down and, and you're reading the closed caption? How exactly does it work when you're watching a show, Lev? Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a huge, I, I shouldn't admit this in public, but I'm a huge Bravo guy too. I watch all that stuff. Uh, Summer House, all the Housewives. Uh, Vanderpump, that's right up my alley. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, I know more my, than uh, I care to admit, but yeah, I'm the same. Yeah, way. outside of treasure hunting, that's my that's my guilty pleasure. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and and, and uh, anyways, Ghostcast has a, has a ton of use cases, right? So so just just broadcasting and commenting on a, a reality show is is just one one small use case. So we you know you can go on and talk about whatever you want, whether it's topics or these TV shows. But it, it, the answer is however you want to do it. Um, you know, this could be on, on delay. You could, you could pause it and watch it on delay. So you're not hitting commercials and you just tweet out to your, to your people. Hey, watch along with me on Thursday at 7 PM. I'm going to do the, the new episode of Vanderpump rules. Um, so tune in. It, it, it's, it's not unlike, Hey, come over at seven. We're going to watch the bachelor together. So it's not unlike that where it doesn't have to be live and it can be however you want to do it, or it could be live and, and you could do it that way too. And, we've had people do it a million different ways. You could, you know, you could just broadcast during the commercials. We have a lot of people doing that right now with the, 
the last dance with uh, the Michael Jordan documentary. We have some NBA broadcasters on the platform. Um, we had a guy, Craig Bowler, Jack, who's the voice of the jazz. He has great stories about Michael, Michael Jordan. He did a post, a post show show on ghost cast after the last dance. Um, we have another NBA broadcaster who's actually on our, on our ghost cast team, Mike Smith. He was a former, uh, first round pick for the Celtics and he was a Clippers broadcaster for 20 years. Um, he would broadcast during the commercials. He would watch it live, have some comments as the show is going on. But then he would give you his take during the commercial so that you're still engaged um, with content during, during the commercial. So there's a, there's a million different ways to do it. And we really believe in letting the users figure that out and teaching us, right? Because there's a lot of times where a user will use a product in, in a way that you didn't even think. And, and right. you know, it ends up being, being a great way, to, great way to do that. You see that on, on all kinds of platforms. Uh, you know, it happens on, on Twitter and Instagram from the very beginning. A lot of those platforms were not designed. Facebook was not designed for, for businesses to market their product. It was designed for college kids to connect with each other. And, and now look, no, look what it is. Look what it's evolved into. So we really listen to our users and we really want them to be creative. We just want to create the platform to allow them to do that. Yeah. How did you come up with the name Ghostcast? <laughs> I, you know what? It, so uh, it's a funny story. I still... I still fight with our with our people in in a joking way. It took it took a little while for actually Chad and I to get on board with Ghostcast. Um, we had named it Fancast in the very beginning. Um, a and I'm glad that didn't stick because that was very sports centric. But that's when we were just sports. It made sense to us. It was Fancast. So actually, I think when we did the beta test, I believe it was Fancast. Mm-hmm. And then we brought in a couple guys to the team. One guy named Ryan Fuller. Um, he had, he had built a company called Opkicks, which is a wearable camera, and he built it up to a two hundred fifty million dollar valuation. Um, really successful guy, really bright guy. And we had just thrown out a whole bunch of names because Fancast did not. Um, we couldn't get that trademarked. It already existed, so we weren't allowed to use that name. So it was kind of back to the drawing board. Or it was you could use that name, but you might have some issues later if if uh, if somebody wants to bring up some issues. So we didn't want to chance it and start building this thing and have this name that might get that might get torched. So we came up with a whole bunch of different names. And Ryan looked at Ghostcast. He's like, "That's it." And we're like, "Why?" Like that's we at first we're like, "Ghostcast? That's crazy. That's weird." He's like, "No, it's cool. We could have like you know tons of different language that you could write write about it you know the images are cool with the ghost and and it makes sense because it's an audio only thing where where you, you know when when you talk about somebody that's ghost writing right they're writing for somebody else and this is kind of like that you actually don't see the person talking you just hear their voice like a ghost he's like there's so many cool things about it and for like six months it was almost it was almost weird where Chad and I were still calling it Fancast on phone calls and 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 in regular conversation. It took a while to, to come around to Ghostcast, but now now we're glad we're glad it is where it is. We're glad that that Ryan kind of kind of turned the lights on for us like that, and we we like the name. It's it's real cool. I agree, I agree. I like it. All right, so you've had some influencers that you've already mentioned with Ghostcast, but last week when we were chatting, you had a conversation with Jim Nance. That yeah, was fascinating yeah. to me. Can you talk about that? Yeah, he's a he's a friend. He's a friend of of um, Mike Smith, who's on our team, and I am just a huge fan of of Jim Nance's. There's nothing I like more 
than the Masters and college basketball. And there's one thing that both of those things have in common, and it's Jim Nance. So I'm just a huge, huge fan of him. I was really excited to, to even just talk to him about Ghostcast and explain to him what it was. Um, so, you know, it, it's interesting because right now with, with uh, coronavirus and the stay-at-home stuff, you know, and then the Masters being canceled and NCAA tournament being canceled. There's, there's no way, I, you know, Jim Nance would have been able to get on the phone and had time to, to talk about this. Um, he's, he's a very, very busy guy. But with the way things are right now, we were able to, you know, have a conversation with him. We've had a lot of really great conversations with a lot of really cool people, um, you know, while, while this, all this stuff's happening, which has been really fortunate for us. But, um, it, it was an interesting conversation. He, he's a fantastic guy. He comes on the phone, and I was expecting Jim Nance, the broadcaster, and it was Jim Nance, just a regular dude, which was totally cool because I was like, I just I just picture him as the guy with Tony Romo on Sundays in the booth or the guy calling the Masters, and right. he was just a normal guy and couldn't have been more cordial and happy to talk to us and, and was totally excited to hear what we were doing and, and all that stuff. Um, and... And so somewhere in the conversation, my favorite part of the, of the call and somewhere along in the conversation, it, it, it turned to asking him, you know, because we talked about Ghostcast being storytelling also. It's a really cool platform just to come on and just just come on and tell stories, like tell stories about getting sprayed in the butt with bear mace, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for that. So, so we, we, talked to, we talked to Jim and said, hey, what's your, what's your favorite call that you ever made? And all of a sudden, it went from Jim Nance, just the regular guy. All of a sudden, we had Jim Nance, the broadcaster, on the phone. He went into the story. He went into character. And I got goosebumps just hearing that voice on the other end of my phone where, you know, he told us a story about that his, one of his favorite calls he ever made was, you know, the night he gets in the, into the voice, like it's the 1996 Masters. And, and we're at Augusta. It's Tiger Woods' very first, uh, you know, Masters. And nobody knew how this phenom from Stanford was going to react to the pressure and people weren't sure if he was going to be a factor or not. And then other people were sure that he would be, you know, one of the best golfers ever because he had such a famed, you know, uh, prep and, and college career. And he's sitting there and it's Friday and, and it's, you know, middle of the day on Friday, he's at hole seven. He has a 13 foot putt. He's, he's got a share field lead. And if the putt goes in, he's going to take the lead at the masters. And then he's telling us this story. And he's like, I almost had this premonition that he was going to make the putt. He was going to take the lead for the masters and he was going to never look back. He was going to win a hundred green jackets. That was like his premonition. He said, and he was right, you know, cause, cause this is 1996 and all of a sudden who knew Tiger Woods was going to win, you know, gonna not, not be, not be, uh, not winning for the next, you know, 15 years. And, uh, and Tiger steps up and he sinks the putt and Nance says something like, and for the first time ever at Augusta, Tiger Woods has taken the lead here at the masters. And he says it like he knew it was just going to be normal that Tiger Woods was going to take the lead and, and, uh, and win all those green jackets. And so just hearing that story on the other end of the phone, I just had goosebumps and I was like, man, you know, and we didn't even, we didn't really think about it at that time. And I'm like, man, that's what should be on Ghostcast. That's the stuff we want to hear on Ghostcast. Like Jim Nance calling a, you know, Jim Nance calling a basketball game. How cool, how cool would that be? Of course on Ghostcast, but it's like, Jim Nance calls basketball games. How cool would it be if he told that story on Ghostcast? And that's that's kind of what gets us really excited when we talk to people like that. What a great question you asked him, and what a great response that that is an awesome story. Yeah, no, I can't. I don't. I can't take 
I don't know if I can take credit for the question. I asked a lot of good questions, but I'm not sure if that was mine or, or somebody else's. We, we had our whole team on the phone with him, but uh, so I, don't, I don't recall exactly how that went down, but I just remember the story and it was incredible. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's switch gears over to the jungle. As mentioned, you're the two-time smack-off champ. And last week, Lev, you shared a story with me of becoming a clone. And do you mind sharing with the clones your story on how you found the jungle? <laughs> sure. sure. So another, another example of a micro-community and, and a guilty pleasure is, is uh, being a, a listener and participator and caller to the to the Jim Rome show. Right. So, yep. um, I was, I had just, I had just, uh, graduated college. I was in my, my first job and I was in the, in the wine business and I'm, I'm down here in Southern California and I'm, I'm doing sales at the time. And we go through, you know, like a two or three week training thing of, of, you know, wine one one and all that stuff. And I get into my car for my very first day of working by myself in my territory. And I get in the car and the first thing I think of is like, what the heck am I supposed to listen to? Cause at the time I'm driving probably 150 miles a day. I was driving like an insane amount of miles. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 22. I don't, don't know what I'm doing. And, and I'm thinking like, what do I do? I'm in the car all day long. What the heck am I supposed to listen to? Like, I'm not just going to listen to music all day. Mm. And so I just turn on the radio. I'm like, Oh, I'm, a, I'm obviously I've always been a big sports fan. It's like, I'll just listen, I'll listen to sports radio. Cause I grew up in the Bay area, listen to Ralph Barbieri and, and, uh, you know, those guys in the Bay Area listening to Giants game, post game, pregame, when we're, you know, before and after we're, we're going to the games or whatever. So I'm like, oh, maybe there's good radio down here. I don't know. I don't know any of the LA, LA people. It's not, I grew up in the Bay Area. And so I turn on at the time, I think it was AM 570 down here, which is, which is still a popular radio station. And, and Jim Rome comes on. And I hear his voice, and he's like, "That's Jim Rome. And I'm like, oh, I know Jim Rome. I've seen him on ESPN. I've seen him on Rome is Burning. I, I, know, I know who the guy is. I've never listened to his radio show. I knew he had a radio show, I think, but never thought twice about it. Um, immediately, I'm greeted with him reading an email that says something, 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 signed Shaquille O'Neal. And, like, he starts laughing. And I'm, like, thinking in my head, I'm, like, is Shaq's, Shaq's emailing this radio show? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's, that's, I'm, like, I'm, like, I, I got to listen to more of this. I, I turn the radio up, and it's, like, you know, no, another email comes in and it's, you know, blah, 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 blah from Paul Pierce. I'm like, Paul Pierce? I'm like, what is this? Is just a radio show for like pro athletes? I mean, this is ridiculous. And then like another one comes in and, and then I'm thinking like, oh, I see. People are pretending to be these people and they're kind of making fun of them, pretending that it's that person writing the email. But it's really just these people that are just driving around like I am writing these emails or texts or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I get it. And this is like all in the same segment within 10 minutes. I'm like, I get it. And he's like, you can text me at, you know, 37170. Should be a text. And so I'm like, all right, let me see what I can do here. So I'm like, <laughs> crack my knuckles. And I, I, I text, uh, it was like right during the, maybe right before the US Open or something. I remember, I remember the text was something, this is 2008. And the text was something like, you know, hey Jim, I'm pulling for Rocco because it must have been Rocco Mediate versus Tiger Woods and, and the U.S. Open. I'm pulling for Rocco just so I don't have to see another you know botched, awkward high five from Tiger and his caddy, or, or from from me and Tiger. And I signed it like sign, sign Tiger's caddy or whatever. I'm like laughing to myself as I send it. He's like, I'm like, he'll never read it. And he's like, all right, let's check the text. You know, you go left in the nine four nine, and that's I think that was my 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 handle back then, or Alex, and then whatever it was. Um, 
and he reads my my text and I just start laughing. I'm like, oh yeah, you just read my text. I'm like, I get it. So I think from the first day I listened to the show, I really got it. I understood it. Um, I believe Brad and Corona made his first Doc Rivers call that same day. So mm. kind of all stars aligned and I, I understood why that call was funny right away. And, and uh, little did I know I would be battling him in, in smack offs years later. But I got the show from the beginning. I really liked it and immediately got hooked. You know, he, he does the thing where it's, if you don't get it in two weeks, just keep listening. I got it in the first segments. And um, after about three emails, like he read and, uh, and I didn't, didn't really care about much else for the next, you know, year. I, I was the guy that was like going to a sales appointment and I'd, I'd be late to my sales call because I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for, you know, waiting for a commercial to come on. So, um, so I listened pretty, pretty heavily from 08, 09, 10. Um, and then I didn't listen too much for a few years. I was building my own business at the time and, and uh, I was traveling quite a bit. And uh, so I, I missed out on some of those years. And then I just randomly called one day in 2014 and got into the smack off and then kind of got heavy into it again for, for another couple of years. So, yeah. And I, I will say that I've listened to Rome since 96. And would you believe my first time I ever turned him on sports radio 610 here in Houston was the second smack off. That, that was, no way. yeah. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know? And, 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 uh, that was back during terrestrial radio, radio days. And I was driving to Dallas and lost the station on the way, but, uh, came back later in the week. It was about the same time, turned him on again. And it was just Rome only. And, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, this guy's got a unique approach and, uh, you know, he's pretty funny and all that. And, and then he, t- he tells a story. He's driving his Mercedes, I think. And he, he clips this cat and he watches watches this cat do a 720, as he put it in in his rearview mirror. The cat lands on his feet and runs off. And I don't know, you know, just just the way that Jim Rome can tell a story. I laugh my ass off, and I've been hooked ever since. But nobody's ever heard heard of me. Nobody ever will because I'll never call the damn show. I'm going to take his advice and just you know, it's okay to listen. That's me. I'm a listener. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes that's better because when this uh, when this smack off rolls around and it starts to consume your thoughts a little bit, um, I try not to let it get in the way of, of work and, and stuff. I'd be lying to say if it, it doesn't that doesn't happen, but uh, you know you start you start looking at things a little more critically. You start watching sports in, in normal years at least. Start watching sports with a a little bit of a different eye. Like, hey, how can I make make something funny out of what what just happened here and is that a take? Is that not a take? And then I'm starting to write down notes. So it, it's, it, uh, it, it consumes a little bit of your mind, you know, especially this time of year when the smack off is coming up. So it, it can be, uh, be a blessing and a curse at the same time. But that, uh, that smack off day is, is really, really interesting because it's, it's uh, a lot of ups and downs. It's fast moving when you're, when you're, when you're a caller, you're listening to the other calls and, you know, editing some things and somebody says something, you gotta, gotta think of a rebuttal or, or whatever. And, and then, and then a lot of it too, you're laughing and having fun. Cause you know, everybody else that's calling is putting in, you know, a good amount of work and is, is just trying to entertain everybody. So it's, it ends up being a, being a fun day, but it's a little bit of work involved. Yeah. I'm going to talk about that more in a second. Cause we talked about that last week. I found that to be very interesting, but let's talk about smack off prep. Obviously you have prepared well in the past with uh, helicopters and crashing studios and such. So with two wins under your belt and a different field every year, 
What can you tell us about your smack off prep now left versus past smack offs and has your approach changed? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely changed a little bit. I was, I was, uh, when I first got into the smack off, I had won a golden ticket on a Wednesday. I had to turn around and write a whole smack off call by a Friday. I didn't know what I was doing. So the second time I'd ever been on air was during a smack off. Uh, I think it was the, maybe the third or fourth call that day. And I thought I delivered it fine or whatever. And I look back on it and it's embarrassing. But at the time it was like, I was, I was pretty impressed. I think my goal was to kind of make my friends laugh that were listening to the show. And I'm like, hey, Colin, you, you, you funny stuff. Try to get in the smack off. I'm like, all right, cool. My goal was like, all right, get in the smack off. And then I did that. And then I did a smack off call. And then I was like, cool, I could do that. And then I start calling a little bit, a little bit more regularly. And then it's like, all right, I'm going to try to win. I'm going to try to win, win a smack off. Let me see if I can win one of these things, you know? And so if I'm going to do something, I want to, I want to be the best at it, right? If I'm going to go look for treasure, I'm going to find the damn thing. So, um, so that was kind of my, my thought process. So, so in, in those years, like 2015, 16, 17, for sure. Um, you know, there were, there was a, there was a good amount of work that, that went into it. There was a good amount of prep. Um, when you're trying to pull off a stunt that, I mean, like the helicopter thing was, wasn't too bad. It was just, just basically doing a call, a regular call from, you know, a helicopter or whatever. And, and we had a really cool setup in some guy's office that year. So that wasn't that big of a deal, but you know, doing like the studio thing and worrying about, you know, the logistics of that, how that would work, how I'm going to feel like sitting two feet away from Jim and he's watching someone that he's never, he's never watched anybody deliver a smack off call. So it's, it's probably cool for him too. And then you know, so, so a lot of that, like kind of like mental stress there was about it. You want to, you want to prepare obviously. And, and then the year after getting all those, all those guys back into the studio and doing the sports illustrated thing, a lot of that prep was like just calling people and, and kind of getting everybody together and, you know, wrangling all those people together. That, that wasn't easy. So it was more of that than, than like actual, the actual phone calls. So um, the degree of difficulty is a little bit higher. Whereas, whereas now, like, especially you know, this year, um, you know, I, I think that era of like stunts and cameos and stuff, I think is, is the doors definitely closed on that. So now I'm trying to think of like, oh, what's some like real funny things to say? Because I feel like I can put together some funny stuff and I didn't actually spend all that much time on the on the jokes part of it, if you will. And now it's like, well, if I take all that extra time or whatever and put it towards some jokes, I can probably come up with even, even some better stuff. So the preps definitely, definitely changed. Um, you know, I think it was a cool thing to have, have won one, a very cool thing to have won two in a row. Um, you know, and now and now it's just a little bit more. I'm trying to make it a little bit more more fun. But back then, yeah, like 16 and 16 and 17, I wanted to win. You know, even 18, re, you know, really bad. And uh, but now it's to the point where, you know, try to just make it fun and, and have a good time. And that, like I said, that that day, that smack off day, is all about um, is all about fun and all about most years people get together afterwards. And, and like I said, it's kind of a little stressful day, but then it's a funny day and a fun day. And it's, it's just crazy. And then everyone gets together and has beers and recaps. And it's, it's a, it's a really just a cool day to be a part of. The smack off date is June 19th. Looking forward to it. Who's going to win this year, Lev? I, you know what? I, I think, Either Rick and Buffalo, I think that's kind of the. I think that's kind of a lot of people's pick. Um, I am going to go out on a limb and say Mike and Indy wins this year. Uh, I think it's mm. fun of the year he can, he breaks through and, and wins. Okay, 
Call him Mike in Indy. All right, we'll see. June 19th. So we get to what we call our legacy question on your Cron left. If in a hundred years, say, someone is listening to this recording, what do you want to share with them about you or perhaps about life in general? Yeah, and I think it's something I mentioned earlier, but for me, my my biggest thing, the thing I live by is it's the journey, not the destination. And you can you can take that a million ways, but you know, success is, is really great. Success doesn't come without hard work. Success doesn't come without failure. Um, but it's, it's, can you enjoy those times? Can you enjoy building something? Can you enjoy the process of it? If you're not enjoying the process of things, you're not going to see the success. So do stuff you like, always chase dreams, do something crazy, do something that people, think you're you're nuts for for even doing and and overextend yourself and try a million different things and and try to enjoy every second of it because i'm a i'm a younger guy uh but um things go by really 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 fast and and i think we we all could agree that regret is one of the the worst things that anybody could could have so so do things so that when you're you know, 80, 90 years old and, and you're sitting on your couch that you don't regret anything. You, you don't sit there and say, oh man, I wish I had done this. Or, oh man, I wish I did that. Or I wish I didn't care what that person thought of me because that, that, that made me, you know, not want to do something. So, so I, I just say, you know, live without regrets, do things you like, enjoy the process of things. Cause that's what it's all about. Um, you know, I, I, I say that all the time, every, Every year in January, I do a thing where I have a meeting with myself um, and I, I kind of take inventory of things hmm. about the previous year and how I, how I want to make something better. And a lot of times there's a lot of the things that in that meeting with myself, I find is the worst parts are some, some things that I regret. Hey, I didn't, I didn't do this or I didn't speak up or I didn't, I didn't say this when I should have or I didn't do this because I was worried about what somebody would think about me. And, and that's regret. And that's, you know year by year those are some of the, the worst things where i'm taking inventory of myself and i just try to have that perspective of when you're more of a macro level when you're 80 90 90 years old that you you don't have that for you know parts of your life where you really regret something so um life's life's short go do stuff go have fun try new things and enjoy it along the way yeah you know you and i talked about that last week we're a lot alike in that respect. Uh, I've got a lot of different things going on and that's just how I roll. But I also, at the same time, I respect somebody that has hyper focus on, on one thing like Edison, you know, inventing the light bulb. I mean, uh, just, you know, they can stay on one thing and, and just grind at it and grind at it. Do you find that difficult to balance sometimes? What, what should I stay focused on? And, you know, all these ideas that pop in my head, what should I try? For me, I think I think that everybody's different. For I can speak for me personally. If I'm chipping away and grinding, grinding, grinding at, at only one thing at a time, and this is this is probably you know a lot of entrepreneurs might not be like this, but I think if you're a real entrepreneur and you're you're doing stuff on your own, you can't just be doing one thing at once. And I would hope that most most people or somebody's going to invest in your company, they wouldn't be upset that you. You know, you always want to go out and have something you're doing. I find on myself, I'm most productive when I'm doing a whole bunch of other things. Um, because if I'm doing one thing, all of a sudden you get to a rut with it, or, or I'm trying to think about how something should go, and I, 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 I kind of hit a wall. Um, 
and I'm, that's the only thing I'm doing. Well, then I'll, what happens after is a lot of lost productivity where it's like, okay, now I can get my mind up that I hit a wall. Let me go, let me go do something else right here. And then I can come back to it and recharge a little bit. So I actually think I'm more productive when I'm doing, when I'm doing more things. I find peace in, I find a lot of peace in being busy and I find peace in, in having kind of chaos around me. Um, but that's, that's just me. I'm crazy. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot like the same way. I, I, you know, think that, uh, redirecting your brain to something else actually helps you with the current problem you're on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When you get, when you get too hyper-focused on something, you start obsessing over it you're looking at every little thing. And, and then that little, that little stressor and anxiety can start to creep in where it's like, why don't I know this? It should be like this, but it's not. It's like, go refocus, look at something else, come back to it with a different mindset, look at something a different way, look at it sideways and you might find your answer like that, right? Right, right, exactly. Well, Lev, this has been amazing. It's been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you being on the show. It's been a blast getting to know you and, and hearing your stories and uh, let's do it again. Yeah, dude, I, uh, anytime, I, I love doing this. I just, I just love talking about stuff and sharing stories and all that stuff. I. I I know we did it just a week ago and, and I had just as much fun this time. So I, I appreciate it. And I definitely would love to do it again. And if, uh, even if it's not recorded, just, just to chat and shoot the shit and stay in touch. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm totally down with that. Well, good luck to you, brother. June 19th in the smack off. Definitely. We'll be listening and, uh, we'll be talking again soon. Sounds good. Go download the ghost cast app in the app store, iOS. Yep. We're going to post all that on the Yurkron website. And um, that'll be uh, that'll be all on the website shortly. Awesome, man! All right, thanks, Left. Thanks, Scott. See you later.